This is episode 3, The Discovery of Monsters. Do you see that, Silver? There, over that ridge by the waterfall. Two creatures. Male and female, just like we thought. I see them. We should approach slowly. Try to make contact. No. No, not yet. Look at them. My God, they're so magnificent. The wide forehead, the white hair. It's like they came from another planet. Oh, they were here first. Maybe we're the aliens. I imagine that they would look like animals. Uh, some hybrid between man and ape. Oh, they're so much like us. Like us, but, but so very different, too. They can withstand the extremes of this climate unlike so many other animals. You really think they're going to survive our current extinction event? Oh, it depends. The Permian mass extinction killed nine out of every ten life forms on the planet. Only five percent of sea creatures survived. Only one third of animals on the land lived. I think the Icemen have a good shot. That's exactly why we must understand them. We can study how they have adapted and what makes them indestructible. We must take samples and sequence their DNA. Not just one, but every member of the tribe. You believe there are more? Many more. They're moving again. They're going into the caves. You okay? Here. Unzip your jacket. Come on. We can't. What do you mean we can't? No, you can't leave now. This is not how it's supposed to happen. Stay low. I don't want them to see us. It's, it's not the right moment. We can't go you now. You are not at your desk in London anymore. Things don't work like that out here. You don't understand. There's something you need to know. I know that now is our chance. Maybe the only one. And I'm not going to miss it. Major Bright! Wait, please! Bright! He didn't hear me. He kept running. I followed him, knowing that it was foolhardy to approach them like that. But the next thing I knew, we were beyond the waterfall, walking through a long, narrow arcade of caves. Bright tried to stay hidden, but it was too late. They knew we were there. Their sense of smell is far superior to ours, as is their hearing. I'm certain they heard our boots on the rock, heard the scratching of our jackets, heard our whispering, perhaps from the very beginning. They were not being followed. They were allowing us to follow them. It all came rushing back to me. I was 15 years old again, my ankle throbbing. The big blue sky stretched overhead as the creature held out his hand. All the sensations I experienced as a child had never really left me. All the wonder and fascination I felt about the Icemen remained, but layered over these feelings were new ones. Fear and wariness and terror. Emotions that had come to me after my encounter with the Icemen, accumulating in my heart every time I thought of all the terrible things that happened that day when the Iceman lifted me and took me into the trees. Finding myself there again, so close to them, I began to tremble with fear and horror. Part of me never believed I would see the Icemen again. I was not sure I would survive them a second time.
What? There's some kind of an opening in the granite, a, a, a crack. They slipped through it. There must be a passage. It's the only way in. The only way out. My childhood ended the day I was taken by the Iceman. I did all the things Jane Silver used to do. I went to school. I perfected my piano lessons. I trained with my ski club. On the outside, I looked exactly the same as I always had. But something deep inside of me shifted. I no longer trusted other people. I no longer trusted reality. I understood that the world could twist into a dark black maze. One that would lock you inside it as you struggle to find your way. I was born in London to ambitious parents who expected that I would achieve as much as they had. My father was a geneticist and my mother a cellist who played with a number of symphonies throughout Europe. She was away often, sometimes for months at a time. The extreme weather was still shocking then and humanity was learning how to cope. Hovercrafts and other transport were being designed, but most people simply didn't travel. My mother was terrified of the wind and preferred to stay indoors, waiting for the rare day of sunlight. With rain or snow falling almost 300 days a year, I saw her very little. Still, we were close despite her absences and I loved her dearly. She loved playing the cello for the sake of music and needed little else to make her happy. I sometimes believed that her cello, with its hard wooden spine, was all that propped her up against the world. I used to think I was like her. But I wasn't. I played the piano, but I was competitive to the core. I began winning piano recitals left and right until my father rightly realized that I didn't give a damn about the instrument itself and that my drive to play came from a desire to win, pure and simple. I was only five years old, but already he could feel the quicksilver in my blood, my need to master and overcome those around me. And so he redirected me from music to competitive skiing. Still, I loved music. And years later, after the incident in the Alps, it helped soothe me. That is what my parents called it. And that is what my therapist, Dr. Thayer, called it as well. The incident. From their point of view, I got lost on a mountain and suffered from exposure to the elements. When they found me, I was asleep on the outcropping of rock. My ankle was swollen, and there was nothing other than some minor cuts and bruises. I was fine. Or so it seemed. The real damage was not so easy to detect. It began inside me, growing like a nefarious weed. I knew my parents wouldn't believe me, and so I never told them about my encounter with the Icemen. I determined to keep it all a secret, and nothing can alter your soul like a secret. If we don't go now, we may not get another chance. If you follow them, you may never come back. I'm not afraid of them. You don't know what they can do to you. What are you talking about? They get inside your mind. They twist everything around until you feel crazy. They hurt you, but then they make you better. You want to leave, but, but you won't. You'll stay. Look, you stay here if you need to, but I'm not going to miss this chance. 
There was so much happening in my mind. So many memories rushing back to me that I could hardly breathe. I heard the sound of the creature's voice, the way it felt to be lifted in his arms and carried off into the evergreen trees. I remembered my terror as he took me through the dark arcade of caves, through the fissure in the granite, and into the bright light of the village. I remembered the smell of the creature's skin, that strong, feral musk of sweat mixed with the scent of his wet hair. And I remembered how my heart beat with fear, but with something more than that too, exhilaration and wonder, amazement at the incredible nature of the world, joy that I was there to see it. Stay here. Don't move. I'll come back for you. But I couldn't move. Seeing the creatures again had triggered something in me that I hadn't felt in years. A white, hot terror pounding through my body. Dread seeped into the atmosphere, suffusing the freezing air, the teeth of ice hanging from the caves, the snow drifting from the sky. And although I trembled with fear at what waited on the other side of the passage, I couldn't turn and run away. I had waited too long to find them. I had struggled too long with the trauma of my childhood encounter with the Icemen. I had doubted my memories, my sanity, my ability to understand the truth. I couldn't give up then when it mattered the most. And so I pulled myself up, pushed aside my terror, and followed Agent Bright into the cave. Agent Bright, wait. I'm coming with you. <laughs> I knew you'd come through. I'm coming. But there's something you need to know first. About them. You are not at all prepared for what you'll find beyond that wall. I never thought there were something that one could prepare for. You should know that there is something about them. Their evolution... Oh, we don't have time for a research report, Agent Silver. We need to move now. They're probably already gone. Come on! And with that, Agent Bright slipped through the narrow fissure in the rock and disappeared. I waited only a moment. My heart beating like mad. And then I followed Agent Bright, pushing myself against the narrow rock of the passage. It was damp, the granite weeping with moisture, and soon a deep, penetrating chill descended upon me. I saw Agent Bright ahead and wished that he had listened to my warning. What awaited him on the other side of the passage was more dangerous and more terrifying than what he imagined. was awaiting us on the other side of the passage had haunted me most of my life. I returned home from the Alps, but nothing was the same. The secret world of the Icemen lived inside me, pulsing like a second heart. I could not exist as I had before. The human world had become strange and terrifying, and so my parents brought me to Dr. Thea. From the age of 15 to 17, I worked with her to understand what happened in the mountains. What I didn't know at the time was that Dr. Thea had recorded some of our sessions, along with her personal reflections of my condition. Jane, you told me in our last session that the nightmares have returned. Dr. Thea's voice chilled me. I had nearly forgotten all of those hours with her, but when I heard the tape, Everything rushed back to me. I listened, breathless, trying to piece together what had happened to the girl I had once been. They have 
not actually stopped. Can you describe them? It's always the same dream. I'm on the mountain pass where the ski accident took place. The sixth extension had killed everything. The birds, the animals, even the insects. But in my dream, it had gone further. The trees had died. I was the only form of life on a dead planet. And then a shadow fell over me. Is it the monster? I don't know. I believe you will see more if you try to describe it. I can't. Just a shadow. What do you feel when you see the shadow? Angry. I want to speak, but I can't. Are you able to sleep after you have this dream? No, never. The creation of a fictional world is one of the mind's most elaborate methods of self-protection. I find that Jane's armoring mechanisms are especially complex. There is a wound, and around this wound, she layered fabulous tale upon fabulous tale. When I try to uncover the source of her trauma, however, she can't reveal it. I don't think he means anything but what he is. Clearly, the nightmare is a symptom of a deeper trauma. I mean, most likely the terror you felt at being lost in the mountains. He is not a symbol or symptom of something. He is real. Okay. T tell me more. Do you believe he is real? Yes. They are called Icemen. Go on. They are human beings, like us, but with characteristics that are different from us. Their heads are large. They have enormous blue eyes and a heavy brow. Their skin is so white that they appear cut from the ice. Do you know anyone in your real life who looks that way? No. There is no one else in the entire world that looks like the Iceman. Week by week, we delve deeper into the fantasy world of the Iceman. Jane Silver is beginning to trust me. With each session, we move closer to the heart of the matter. What trauma did Jane Silver suffer to create such a persistent imaginary lacuna? What must happen to unravel it? Today, as in previous sessions, Jane Silver returns to the place she calls the Village of the Ice Men. It's an elaborate fictional universe, one so fully imagined that I cannot help but believe she spends many hours there in her mind. As it turns out, there are many Icemen, perhaps 50 or so, forming a self-sufficient tribe. Jane explained that they live together in a crevice deep in the mountains. She describes this village with details both precise and particular. There are stone huts with granite-tiled roofs, birchwood bowls used to eat roasted meat, hard pellets upon which she slept. There are rituals such as food gathering, eating and bathing that she claims to have participated in. It's quite amazing, the scope of her imagination. I have never encountered this variety of delusion before among those who were born after the extinction event. Young men and women who have never seen animals, never heard a bird sing, never tasted meat or fish or cheese or milk. And yet, I must confess, her descriptions are extraordinarily vivid. Something happened to me. Something I can't recall. There's something I want to know about the Iceman, Jane. Would you classify it him 
as a human being. Well, what else? I'm not sure. A an ape. Some form of animal you might have seen in the mountains. Human. Most definitely human. Jane Silver has a strong, steady character and does not cry often. But when she does, it seems that she cries with all the suffering of the world in her heart. She is inconsolable. Then she straightens her spine, wipes her eyes, and goes on as if nothing at all had happened. I must ask again. Do you think they are real? I don't know. They seem so. They seem very real to me indeed. Note that Jane Silver's physical presence alters when she speaks about the Icemen. She arrives at my office with the look of a girl weighed down by anxiety and depression. Her posture is stooped and her expression withdrawn. She rarely makes eye contact and her voice is weak so that I must ask her to repeat herself. But when she speaks of the Iceman, she transforms. She becomes vibrant and bold, showing me the Jane Silver that exists underneath the depression. It happened suddenly, without warning. We were talking about methods of managing her anxiety when she said her name. Omo. Omo was your main contact with the creatures? Omo found me. Omo, who took me to the village of the Icemen. And Omo, who protected me from the others when they tried to harm me. Why were you afraid of the other Icemen and not Omo? He is different. He was kind. I don't know where this is leading, but I believe that Omo is the key to understanding what might have happened to you. Omo was my friend. Is it possible that Omo is not a fantastical creature from a tribe of mythological men, but a person, a real person, a person close to you who poses a threat? Is it possible that you suffer delusions about the Icemen? <laughs> Delusions? <laughs> Dr. Thea was the only person I trusted to tell the truth about the creatures, and she believed I was delusional. I guess it was only to be expected. I had experienced something I could not understand, something so dark and terrifying that it overwhelmed me. Perhaps I was mad, as many of the survivors of the extinction event are. Is it a wonder? Cut off from the natural world, living our lives in protective gear behind thick glass windows. We've lost everything that tied us to the natural world. Dr. Thea might have recognized this. Instead, she took a radically different direction. She began to question me about my parents. She wanted to know details about their behavior toward me and my feelings about them. She requested my medical records and was particularly interested in the physical examinations that occurred just after the incident in the Alps. She listened and observed, all the while forming theories about what had really happened to me. At the time, I didn't understand what she was doing. I didn't realize that she had the power to tear my life apart. By the time I understood, it was too late. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. This first season has 10 episodes, and you can binge all of them on our website, euphony.media. 
If you'd like the story to continue in future season, please support us. One meaningful way you can do that is to just share this episode with a friend. And if you really love the show, then leave a review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcatcher. It makes a ton of difference. Thank you again and see you next time.